0: Welcome to Intelligence Squared, I'm Conor Boyle. It's the Sunday debate and we're dipping into the archive to listen back to a primer on blockchain and crypto technology. This week, the UK's Treasury asked the Royal Mint to create its first-ever non-fungible token, or NFT. The initiative, pushed by embattled Chancellor Rishi Sunak, has been met with some curious excitement and a fair amount of derision. NFTs, more often created as one off artworks, are still a very young and often misunderstood part of the blockchain world. So, for today's debate, we're going back to 2018 when cryptocurrencies, blockchain, and NFTs were an even newer part of the global financial picture. When we held the debate blockchain, quantum leap forward, or digital snake oil? It's a question the UK's Chancellor might soon need to answer. Here's our host, the journalist and author and former editorial director of BBC News, Kamal Ahmed.
1: Thank you very much and uh, welcome everybody. You get such a wide selection of views about what precisely blockchain is that it leads a lot of people to wonder, is blockchain anything? And it sort of goes from the prosaic, um, a set of records kept Uh, across boundaries with a network of ways of uh, controlling uh, the information via code on that network, so it is immutable and trusted by anyone who uses that network, to, frankly, the revolutionary. This can change the way we live uh, even more than maybe people thought the Internet could in the early 1990s. So there's a vast array of differences about opinion, a difference of opinion about what this actually means. And to navigate ourselves around this complicated maze uh, of blockchain are four particularly brilliant experts. Hannah laid out the question. Quantum leap forward or digital snake oil? Who here is in the quantum leap forward camp? Okay, fit slightly. <laughs> and who is in the digital snake or a lot of techno people basically showing off about something they don't really know about? Okay. Okay, quite quite balanced, bending towards the positive. So let's see if our four fantastic experts can uh, help us. Oh, and actually there's one thing as well bitcoin isn't blockchain i suppose it's one thing we worth saying at the beginning it's on blockchain but it isn't it and i think a lot of the public sort of maybe confuse uh, those two things who in here has got a little bit of cryptocurrency okay some early adopters here who've lost a lot of value but depending on when they depending on when they bought it let's start with um primavera uh, de Filippi. Lawyer, she asked me to say crypto lawyer at the beginning, but I didn't I mean that you'd sort of disappear or something, or wouldn't really be here. But um, she's a lawyer, expert on legal challenges, the opportunities um, of uh, blockchain. Is there a way to make them into new models of uh, government? participatory decision-making, that more revolutionary edge of what blockchain uh, may be. She's permanent researcher at the National Centre of Scientific Research in Paris and faculty associate at the Berkman Klein Centre for Internet and Society at Harvard University, also also the author of Blockchain and the Law. Uh, Welcome. To the right, rare I say this, President Vitt. As you are. He is the founder and first elected president of the Free Republic of Liberland. Who knows where Liberland is? Look at all these early adopters here. There's, there's too many trendies in the room. Too many trendies in the room. <laughs> yes, it's located between Croatia and Serbia on the west bank of the Danube. Um, country which aims to be the first to base its government structures on blockchain te- technology and be the freest jurisdiction on the planet, founding member of the Czech Libertarian Free Citizens Party. Jamie Bartlett on my far left, author, maybe crypto author, I don't know. I have one of his books here, which I do heartily recommend, uh, Radicals. Um, uh, which has a bit of Liberland stuff in there, and a lot about blockchain, a lot about new ways um, uh, of of thinking around these issues. So author, um, expert in the notion of the social influence of the internet, um, how it changes the way we operate with each other, cryptocurrency, surveillance, technology, machine learning, big data, all those things. Basically, 99% of us have not a sodding idea what it means, but we know it's very, very important. Director of the Center for the Analysis of Social Media, which is a collaborative piece of work between Demos, the think tank, and the University of Sussex. His books beyond radicals uh, include The Dark Net, The People, and most recently The People Versus Tech, How the Internet is Killing Democracy, and How We Can Save It. Optimistic Jamie, good to hear. David Gerard is sort of the IT guy, so you know if anything goes wrong, he can sort of turn it on and turn it off again. Um, uh, he's been an information technology for 20 years as a systems administrator, award-winning music journalist which is an enormously impressive thing, um, uh, and a bit of a blockchain sceptic, if we're absolutely um, uh, honest. He works, he authors the news blog um, on uh, Bitcoin, and uh, is the author of the book, Attack of the 50-Foot Blockchain, Bitcoin, Blockchain, Ethereum, and Smart Contracts, uh, which are all different things, uh, I now uh, discover, uh, described by the New York Times as a sober as he looks this evening in his suit and black tie riposte to all the upbeat forecasts about cryptocurrency. So David's sort of the undertaker of the evening. He will be whenever things get too excitable, he will bring us back to earth and stick us in a coffin. Um, so let's just briefly go around the panel, just get a bit of a tone about where they are in this debate. Um, President Vid, Mr. Vitt, is it Mr. Vit okay? All oh, right. just maybe Vit would do. Um, uh, just give us two sentences. Blockchain, you, you sort of put your hand up about quantum leap forward. Um, why do
2: you say that? The biggest thing about it is we're moving to third party. And when we're talking about third party, we're talking about things like central banks, like insurances, like uh, banks, regular banks. Uh, like governments ultimately, and it's a really big thing. You know, I'm just saying it like nothing really is big, big, big is happening, but it's a really big thing. Ultimately, we will not need these institutions in the future because the third trusted party actually doesn't have to be there anymore. So all the things that provide security around the world, forget uh, them. Well, not, not all of them, but a lot of them. Like, I think the, the next big revolution that is happening because of blockchain will be the decentralized insurance companies and there are a couple startups already pushing that I think it will need like two or three more years but we will see that out of these huge institutions that have these huge buildings and a lot of bureaucrats in there we will actually see a completely decentralized system of insuring yourself which much cheaper and much more efficient way everything on blockchain without any big building necessary based on reputation and on decentralized systems and can you imagine how much how much energy does that actually release from the system into the society, right? And, and the same thing will apply with the governments. Primavera,
1: quantum leap forward, digital snake hall. You, you sort of half put your hand up towards the snake hall side, so it would not be a fellow traveler, maybe.
3: No, I, actually, I, I wanted to raise my hand to both of them. So I, I'm taking a quantum answer. I'm actually bought convinced that it has wonderful opportunity and it has actually a beautiful quantum leap and at the same time so it's not in the middle, I'm actually butt, at the bot extreme at the same time it's potentially being used as a wonderful type of digital snake hole
1: So it has both um, positives but also the negatives I, mean, I think it has, it
3: has revolutionary potential uh, in terms of Decentralization in terms of disintermediation, transparency, accountability. So it can actually create new structures or or modify the internal structure of existing institutions, which I think can have a very important impact. At the same time, those same potentiality can also be used or abused to some extent in order to actually, you know, sell miracles. And uh, this is a little bit what is happening today. And to my, to my view, this is kind of these kind of like, you know, especially in the kind of the ICO and like this kind of selling things just because you say blockchain and it's going to solve mm-hmm. everything is to some extent fading, like creating shades on top of the actual real opportunities that perhaps have not yet been explored enough for, to acquire the visibility that they could.
1: So Jamie, the snake old sales people have jumped on what could be a clever technology. Do you agree with that or do you actually think the technology itself offers a huge amount. Once, once described in a piece I read uh, before this as, as trying to use the Hubble Space Telescope to look across the road.
2: <laughs>
4: <laughs> yeah, I mean, this, this, uh, this week I received uh, a, an email from a blockchain startup saying they were using a blockchain to beat obesity. I have no idea how, but that is a good example of the way in which there's an awful lot of snake oil salespeople out there. An awful lot. But that doesn't mean that it isn't potentially very revolutionary, not maybe in the next two to three to five years, but beyond that, I think that the prospect of large-scale adoption of decentralised networks, immutable databases, impossible to censor bits of the Internet, is going to be quite revolutionary, but that doesn't mean that it's good. Quantum leap forward sounds obviously good. Mm. The quantum leap forward that we're going to get with this is actually going to cause us a lot of problems.
1: We'll build on some of that, um, Jamie, a little later. David, are you of similar opinion? What are, your, what are your main concerns about... Is there a tulip fever element to blockchain which should worry us?
5: I think you couldn't say there wasn't, really, looking at the last year. like The blockchain data structure is 40 years old. It's a pretty good data structure. It's pretty cool. The Merkle Tree data structure, it is not new, but it is being marketed with a bunch of outlandish miracle promises and the implication you'll get all of these promises all at the same time and never mind actual technical limitations or anything. And all the promises that the things branded blockchain are sold with are actually old Bitcoin promises recycled, most of which Bitcoin had basically failed by 2014. Like, Bitcoin is not decentralised anymore. It's, like, got three major miners and one company makes 80% of all the mining chips. Um, It doesn't scale up, that sort of thing. It's immutable, which means that there's a bunch of illegal pornography on the blockchain nobody can ever remove. So that's a great win. Um, But the thing is, the promises were then moved into things branded blockchain. Now, there's no definition of what a blockchain is, legally because actually it's a simple 40-year-old data structure with a certain amount of marketing attached. I've seen all sorts of things sold as blockchain, some of which on a sliding scale from a full Bitcoin cryptocurrency decentralised to literally just the data structure, like the famous... If you've heard about Estonia's great blockchain revolution, that's a thing called KSI guard time, which they renamed KSI blockchain in 2012 to sell it. And the marketing worked amazingly. I can't even say they're wrong. But you know, it's literally just a time-stamped ledger. And so when you have someone selling you blockchain, they are literally, the hype is the actual product and the the actual program comes later. So there is no technical, there is no solid technological agreed definition of a blockchain except something that attracts dreams and hopes.
1: Which might not be a bad thing. Uh, So an old, old technology in a new wrapper broadly. Primavera, help us here with what it is. Now, you're going to talk us through, hopefully in relatively simple terms for me, if no one else, uh, precisely what it is that we are attempting to talk about.
3: Um, Well, So basically, the easiest way to explain the functionalities of the blockchain is by analogy with the internet. So the internet has enabled us to communicate on a peer to peer basis bypassing many of the traditional intermediaries like TV broadcaster and radio channel. And it also has enabled the emergence of those peer to peer file sharing networks, which makes it possible for people to exchange information directly with one another. And then Of course, this is very important and very useful whenever it is about exchanging information or knowledge, but it can actually be quite problematic when it comes to exchanging money or any other kind of resource which is inherently scarce. And so this is why when we actually want to transfer money over the internet, we generally rely on this kind of centralized financial institutions like banks or PayPal's, which are responsible to verify every transaction in order to make sure that no one can spend more money than what they actually have. The problem with this system is that this obviously reintroduce one layer of centralization over the internet, and the system only works so long as we can trust those operators. And so what if, instead of delegating those tasks to the centralized operators, we could create instead a decentralized payment system? And this system already exists, it's Bitcoin. So Bitcoin is a virtual currency that can be traded on a peer-to-peer network without the need to rely on any centralized operator or financial institution. And so Bitcoin was created in 2008 by a pseudonymous entity called Satoshi Nakamoto. And as opposed to traditional fiat currencies like the euros or the pounds which are issued by central banks and controlled by a state, the issuance of Bitcoin is defined by a computer protocol which precisely stipulates the total amount of Bitcoins that will ever be created, 21 million, and the speed at which those Bitcoins will be generated. So today it is 12.5 Bitcoins every 10 minutes more or less. And so we can see how Bitcoin somehow replicates or simulates the characteristic of gold. Gold cannot be created out of nothing. It must be extracted from the ground. And then as time passes and the reserve of gold gets depleted, then the harder it becomes to find new gold. And in the same way, Bitcoins cannot be created out of nothing. New bitcoins are generated every time a computer identifies the solution to a mathematical problem whose difficulty increases with the network size. So this means that the more people are contributing their own computing resources to the network, then the harder it actually becomes to generate new bitcoins. And so this mathematical problem is actually similar to the problem of finding the solution to a padlock. So one needs to try every single possibility in order to find the right combination, but once the solution has been found, it's very easy for everyone else to verify that it is the correct solution. Now, of course you might wonder, because it is indeed a virtual currency, then how can we trust the system? How can we be sure that people are not gonna reproduce and multiply their bitcoins in the same way as they can reproduce digital content? And so the Bitcoin network operates on top of this other technology, the blockchain, which makes it possible to exchange value in a secure and decentralized manner without the need to rely on any trusted authority or intermediary operator. And so how does this work exactly? Well, instead of assigning to this centralized operator the task of verifying every transaction, with Bitcoin, the history of all transactions is stored on this common database, the blockchain, and this database is shared among all the network participants who are all contributing to the verification and to the validation of those transactions. And because everybody holds a copy of the blockchain, it is virtually impossible to cheat because if one tries to modify even a single one of those transactions, the fraud will be immediately detected by all the network participants. And then, once those transactions have been validated, they are stored in a chronological order inside a block of transactions which incorporate a reference to the previous blocks. And this reference is part of the same mathematical problem which I have described before. And this means that The only way to validate transactions on the Bitcoin blockchain is to find the right combination that will enable the system to attach a new block of transaction to the previous chain of blocks. And so the blockchain is, after all, just this long chain of transactions which reference each other. And the longer is the chain, then the higher is the security of the network because the modification of a single one of those transactions will invalidate the reference to the previous blocks which will inevitably break the chain. Here is my little introduction of five Excellent.
1: minutes. Excellent. I understood every word of that. We're <clears> very <throat> Is with is the issue, given that the data might be old, Uh, Oh, sorry, the the structures might be quite old. Is the issue with, um, do you agree with David, that the issue with blockchain is not what it is, uh, which is a decentralized ledger uh, used digitally, uh, but the use, the marketing that is laid above it. Is that the issue, that it is being sold in ways that aren't really blockchain or at all revolutionary?
3: well so actually i would disagree about the fact that the technology is old in the sense that the blockchain is based on a set of existing technologies which are quite old but the combination of all those technologies together is actually quite new and it has created it was created with the invention of bitcoin in 2008. Um, and the particularity of this is that the blockchain for the first time managed to actually resolve one of the fundamental problems that could not have been resolved until now except by relying on a centralized operator, which is the question of double spending. Right? So if I have a centralized operator and every every transaction needs to go through this operator in order to know whether it's valid or not then it's quite easy to to avoid any kind of double spending one if i have 10 pounds and then i transfer 10 pounds here and 10 pounds there then the centralized authority will just accept the former and reject the second if you are in a decentralized system it's really difficult to actually resolve that problem and the 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 radical innovation of bitcoin is actually that it provided a mechanism by which if I send 10 pounds here and 10 pounds there, then there is this form of consensus making that will actually decide, even though they are both valid. Independently, they are both valid. So you cannot just say, this one is correct, this one is incorrect. And because the network doesn't have a, a common time according to which one I actually have emitted false, then you need this kind of consensus mechanism that will actually dictate whether this one is considered valid or this one is considered valid.
1: And does it become, via that system, a way of disintermediation or does it need a checking mechanism beyond that if that trust breaks down? If that consensus is somehow broken? Yes. Is there any need for lawyers?
3: <laughs> there is always need for lawyers. <laughs> no matter what <laughs> um, I mean so in in the context of Bitcoin, the consensus is basically what dictates the validity of a transaction, right? So, well, first they need to be mathematically valid, and then you need to decide which one will actually go. Now, of course, the, the system itself is subject to a particular uh, type of constraint which you, no one should actually have control over more than 50% of the computing power in the network, otherwise you can actually, to some extent, uh, double-span. You can, you can co-op the network in validating transactions, and then mining... On the other side much faster in order to validate also another transaction so as long as you stay under the 50 percent threshold then at least until now uh, it has proved to work now the problem is is a different problem the problem is what if I make a transaction and this transaction was not meant to you but to someone else, then usually I will be able to go to my bank and revert that transaction, whereas here I cannot because once it's done, once it has been validated, no one has actually the capacity to revert it. Same thing if someone is stealing my bitcoins, right? So if someone is acquiring a particular digital asset, in a way that is actually illegitimate, in the real world, I will be just declared to be the illegitimate owner of this, this asset and then people can take it away and seize it with a court order. Whereas in the case of Bitcoin, even regardless of what the law says, if I have transacted my Bitcoin to someone else, then no one can actually come and intervene to actually take this property back.
1: But what about the point that if a mistake is made or I want to retract or someone breaks into it, someone starts stealing whatever it is, my product, on blockchain.
2: Where is the code of appeal? Well, this is actually, let me pitch for Liberland a little bit. That's, that's where Liberland comes in. And in our jurisdiction, everybody basically has their merit account. That means how much they have contributed to the society that they are living in. And uh, the more taxes you pay, the more merits you have, the, the higher is your vote. Uh, but in our system of decentralized justice, that we are planning together with Claros.io, you can actually, by the system of decentralized jurors, you can take people's merits away. So, okay, it's possible that I steal your bitcoins, uh, you know, I hack into your computer, mm. but if you can prove it, in the system of liberal and decentralized justice, we just put on, the, the, on, on my account uh, uh, liability in the same value as, as of the stolen bitcoins. So there will be always list of criminals, and by the way, it's growing uh, also every day with Liberland. You've a list of criminals in Liberland yeah, already? Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. So people that have acquired uh, minus merits for whatever they have done. Usually some sort of robbery. Who decides what merits? Right, right now it's kind of centralized, but the main... Ah, ma- well, the president decides. It's like sort <laughs> of China. We actually, <laughs> we actually have a system... Only with, for a while, though, we're going to move on. Well, you know, like... <laughs> You know, monarchies have been around here, around, around the world for quite some time and they worked well. Let me remind you that Liechtenstein was also a monarchy with kind of dictatorial powers and it is the richest state on this planet. So, but of course, there is a problem with governance. When the monarch gets crazy, it doesn't work anymore or, you know, just the son doesn't really want to follow his father's footsteps. So what we are doing in Liberland, we want to put everything on blockchain. So the whole governance is on blockchain. Maybe use similar platform like DaoStack, but we want to put a, a jurors platform on top of it, a decentralized system of jurors randomly selected from people that will be able to basically balance off all these criminal acts through a system of merits. And,
1: and how did you, was it just you, or was it you and a group of people decide on these merits and then the method for
2: which that will be tested? Well, no, this is the, idea, area, the idea for it is that really qualified citizens from all the citizens that apply to be basically jurors will be randomly selected. And the first round, three randomly selected people, qualified jurors from the nation will be selected for any case. Actually, the first round is a mediator. If you don't pass the mediation, the two parties don't agree about the solution of the dispute, then there is three jurors. And in another round, if, if one of the parties appeals, there will be six jurors. And in another round, if one party appeals, there will be 12 jurors and uh, we want to also include some sort of Dubai financial district ultimate resolution system but it's very costly we would like to solve most of the disputes within Liberland through our system of merits and again I I would like to get rid of this obligation as soon as possible uh, and, and I know that that is something that will really kick off uh, the whole project. So people will pay tax in
1: Liberland, They're, or they do yeah, pay but tax? It's a or?
2: voluntary tax if you want to okay. acquire more merits, basically more shares of Liberland, you have to basically exchange your whatever currency for merits.
1: Frightening, Jamie. Anyway, um, Jamie, you've been you've been to their conferences. You've yeah. been to see them. You've um, engaged with, with not only VIT but many others in Liberland. Is there a revolutionary aspect, which is a reasonable one, to what blockchain can do around uh, governance? <clears throat>
4: Yeah, I mean, I think uh, it's very exciting what VIT's doing. Uh, And I I really enjoyed going over there and visiting it. Um, But I don't think it's quite there yet. Um, (laughs) I can see how, especially in countries where voting ballots are stuffed routinely, if you can create some kind of decentralised system for people to check that their own votes have been counted accurately, that's great. But why are we so down on intermediaries Mm. Intermediaries are necessary when things go wrong and things nearly always go wrong. Code goes wrong. Vit mentioned the DAO, a new, a new way of investing money into a, into a sort of decentralized um, uh, company. Well, we had a DAO already and that went rather badly wrong because thousands of people invested an awful lot of money into it but there'd been a flaw in the code allowing somebody to get in and Funnel out loads of the Ethereum that was in there and no one could do anything about it it was unstoppable because no one was in charge and David mentioned the possibility in the future of illegal material appearing on the blockchain But also we have this gdpr about your rights to be forgotten to remove data impossible in a world of blockchain so these things, I think, could really undermine people's confidence in the way we do government. That No court or police or jury or judge in the world can remove stuff that shouldn't be there. And that is a pretty fundamental
1: change. What was interesting about the Dow issue and the, the hack was the point that supporters of DAO made about that was, was well, yes, it was like, it's like um, stealing the Mona Lisa. Yeah, you've stolen something, but it is immediately traceable and therefore not sellable. And so there's nothing that can be done with the data that was hacked. Is that that a reasonable point? That because of this traceability issue,
5: um,
1: that things, yes, hacking takes on a different uh, meaning when everything is absolutely traceable.
4: The question of perfectly traceable, traceable transactions is not completely true. Right. But I think the broader point was that what happened to happen with the DAO was that a, a group of people who were running it made the decision to fork it off and almost start again. Yes. And that shows you that, you know, in the end, people then jump in and take over. So the promises of decentralisation often fall slightly short. But I don't think we're thinking... Widely enough, I mean, if we talk about cryptocurrencies rather than just the blockchain, the prospect that governments are not going to be able to easily raise taxes, you know more than anyone about this problem, especially in the coming years with all the problems we're facing, is dramatic. Most big revolutions have started in the past in our democracies over whether tax should be raised and how to raise that legitimately. Government is not going to sit by and let tax-raising power disappear because everyone's using cryptocurrencies that are hard to trace. What will happen? Governments will take them over and they 'll run them, and then we 'll have government run blockchains where everybody 's transactions are monitored because it 's all been centralized by government mm. and then the kind of the, the libertarian dream, the exciting dream, uh, turns into a bit of a nightmare and it becomes a perfect sort of surveillance system
1: david you 're just too negative <laughs> you 've heard the, the glories of what, what could happen, the notion of trusted. Um, uh, groups, people coming together to produce trusted networks in a way that allows what would once have only been localized face-to-face, allows you to do that across nations, across the world, in larger groups. And that trusting your fellow person um, down the digital road, so to speak, is better than investing powers in central governments, in central banks in systems that the public simply cannot see and certainly have no way of controlling. Isn't that the reaction in the public against so much of what is going on now? They cannot see and they cannot control what is going on.
5: Well, at this point, you have to differentiate between the promise and the realities, because anyone can make a really, really good pitch, saying, we will free you from your oppressors, but what system have you got in their place? and a lot of this talk about how Bitcoin will overthrow governments is fairy stories that Bitcoiners tell themselves. Governments don't act like that. Like, the first... When Bitcoin 0.1 was released in 2009, there was a message on the mailing list saying, oh, no government could stand for this. They'll come down on this immediately. And, you know, that, that's literally not the history of finance in the last 400 years. What happens when someone comes up with a new financial instrument is the government says, that looks interesting, let's see how you go. By the way, regulations apply. Then someone makes money, then someone else does something dodgy and they say, whoops, sorry, that's a Ponzi scheme. You're actually not allowed to do those and stuff like that. But it's frankly delusional thinking that the governments of capitalist countries have something against people making money in finance because they don't, you know. Um, Bitcoin is a rail against the SEC, but their mission the uh, US regulator. Their mission statement, the third part of it is facilitate capital formation. Here's a government agency who literally see their job as helping you make a great big pile of money, you know. But the second part of their mission is maintain orderly, fair and efficient markets. And their first part of their statement is protect investors. What, you happen, what happens with when people make promise of a trustless currency is you end up with people who just can't be trusted. This is what you see over and over in the cryptocurrency world. It is saturated with the most blatant, outrageous crooks. The thing is, the regulators have only shown up in the last year or so. Yeah. Um, and that is a problem. Like, the regulators um, are slow-moving but thorough. For instance, they're now prosecuting a pile of people who engaged in dodgy behaviour in 2013 and 2014, for example. It turns out that if you're going to commit financial fraud, you probably shouldn't do it on an immutable ledger that anyone can access forever. You might think that's an obvious point, but they're still busting people off the Silk Road. Um, so if you're going to do crimes, don't do them in a permanent record. And, you know, this stuff is crimes. Um, when the SEC first was talking about ICOs in mid-2017, they said, look, the Dow was clearly a security, it was actually broke the law, but they tried to make good so we won't prosecute, but don't do this again. And, you know, ICO people, I talk to people, they really want to do this right. And they worry, well, they bust us. I say, well, no, not if you're honest. But there's just so many dishonest people out there because when they see an exciting new thing, this attracts starry-eyed naive people who think this is their ticket to get rich. And it then attracts a whole lot of scammers to prey upon them. So, yeah, I mean, maybe... I expect that in a few years, cryptocurrencies will be a normal, regulated sort of financial instrument, but a whole lot of people are going to get busted first and because they just won't be told.
0: promo code, Squared, to dive into the world of arts like never before. Bring the arts home with Marquee TV. The events calendar is filling up here at Intelligence Squared and to create each one we obviously rely on some brilliant guests and on stage talent. But behind the scenes there's also a producer, a production team and the budget in the mix too. You've got to keep an eye on all of that stuff in one place. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting That's why over thirty-seven thousand companies have already made the move, and now, by popular demand, Netsuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com/squared. That's netsuite.com/squared. Netsuite.com/squared.
2: Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help.
1: Will we get to a regulated blockchain system, or does that defeat the point of blockchain? You said there'll always be a need for lawyers. Can you control it? Can you regulate it in some manner? Which means that some of the attacks that David is making upon it is—it is a world for criminals, basically, to buy. Um, uh, uh, there are many non-criminals. To, to work, <laughs> is, there a, is there a way that um, blockchain can be regulated? which means that some of those concerns that are raised by David can be tackled.
3: Like If we actually look at the, um, the narrative right, of like the early internet days, we could see that there was all this the same very similar narrative about we're creating this kind of like completely decentralized network and like the the declaration of independence of the cyberspace governments not having the right nor the capacity to actually exert the sovereignty over the internet and then very soon we have noticed that actually it's not that difficult to regulate the internet because there is a bunch of intermediaries and if we regulate the intermediaries then we can indirectly regulate Mm. the people interacting on those platforms. So you have the miners, you have the developers, you have the validators, you have the exchanges, you have like the blockchain explorers. So there is a bunch of new intermediaries, or even just like the commercial operators. So you cannot regulate the technology, and you cannot regulate Bitcoin, and you cannot stop Bitcoin. But what you can do is actually implement specific regulations saying that no commercial actor in a particular jurisdiction can accept Bitcoin. You can uh, require exchanges or whatever operator is actually dealing with Bitcoins to actually fulfill very extensive amount of formalities, so that all the small startups need to run away, and then you only have those large large institution that you can actually very easily regulate. So the the game nowadays is actually to identify what are those new avenues, what are the new levers that exist on which you can actually affect the use of the technology, knowing that you can never actually stop the technology itself. And so as long as there is a few people anywhere in the world running a Bitcoin blockchain node, then this, this blockchain will be available to people that manage to. So either you have to shut down the internet or firewall everything <laughs> down, or you will basically just create these kind of legitimate blockchains which comply with whatever yep. regulation, and dark market blockchain, but they will exist and you cannot stop them.
1: Vic, can you the, answer the, the two main challenges? Home to criminals, and not, it's not actually decentralized at all. <laughs> if you look at what's happened to Bitcoin, it's, it's run by three platforms uh, and actually all all things that are supposedly decentralized in the end end up centralized.
2: Well, of course. Bitcoin is used by different types of people, but but it's also honest to say that most like I think that the research was like 97% 98% is used by legitimate businesses to conduct legitimate So it's a little bit of fuss around the fact that it's only used by criminals Actually, so we pick on the controversy U.S. US dollar is probably used much by much more criminals than Bitcoin is, right? Uh, by, By probably three magnitudes by now so that's one of the things, and the other was... Uh, Centralization. Centralization. So the notion of decentralization uh. Uh, uh, only ever
1: exists until something becomes powerful and then it becomes centralized, because in the end, there becomes an operating force which, mm. which becomes uh, centralized.
2: Yeah, and you see that the developers are really fighting this back in a way. They're offering all these types of different cryptocurrencies, which is harder to centralize, so you cannot develop a single machine that can mine it. And uh, you can also see that even though the the players and the, the mining is getting centralized, there is a great incentive to actually keep Bitcoin immutable. There is the incentive to keep it as it is and don't steal, even if you're biggest miner, don't steal from the network, from some particular addresses, because, of course, you would damage the, the thing that you are working for is there. So I, I don't think it's a big problem. There was a huge debate between the fork when, when the Bitcoin cash forked and, and to to... to addressed the, uh, the scalability of Bitcoin, and there are people that didn't uh, agree with it. It's also quite centralized, but now both blockchains are doing fine. By the way, I just wanted to mention one thing. When Ethereum forked, the interesting thing was that actually the people that didn't want to fork it, that didn't want to go and, and take the money from the person that stole those funds, you know, they were the legitimate ones. Because at the beginning of that DAO contract was written that the code is the law and the, the hacker didn't change the law, he just used as it was written, right? So when you look now on, on, on Ethereum, the people that actually kept the old, it oh, yeah. the old way, they were the ones that did it legally, right? And the, 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 the consensus actually to take money back was against the law that was set, which is interesting. <laughs> Jamie, the issue of,
1: of is it just a place for criminals to dance and, and do their thing? I mean. Is there, is there a way, I mean, that is true, as Vitz says, of everything, of currency, of the internet, of telephone, of landlines originally for the older folk in the audience. I mean, all things are open to criminals, so that's not, that's not a way to attack yeah, I
4: mean, it. Yeah, and, and the criminal uses of these technologies I, I don't think is, the, is really the main problem, it's, but it is going to be, it is certainly, has been and will be picked up by criminals as early adopters. That's for sure, it already was, and will be in the future. Um, we, we know that there's been a significant increase in the number of people that have been victims of Bitcoin-related crime. I'm not just saying that, because I was, but... but and, 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 and it's, it's Having spent an awful lot of time on the Darknet in my book about it, I mean, I could see how... This is fantastic technology for those guys. That shouldn't take away from all its legitimate uses. I'm not suggesting that at all. But clearly it means that governments are going to have to demonstrate that they are capable of policing some of these areas properly, otherwise they begin to lose faith in the authorities. They actually didn't do a bad job on the dark net with the dark net markets. So I was saying in 2013-14, these dark net markets the authorities are never, ever going to be able to get on top of them. It's impossible, because they use Bitcoin, they use all the various encryption, anonymous web browsers. But they've been quite clever at undermining the markets by basically writing loads of fake reviews. Because the things like Amazon, and so people depend on trustworthy reviews for it to work, so they write loads of fake reviews, (laughs) they set up a load of fake sites and then disappear with people's money. And so they've done a good job, actually, using other techniques to try to keep on top of this. But I think they might be losing a bit of a, they're fighting a bit of a a losing battle and I just want to say this, that it's very important, I know a lot of good people that are working in this area and they actually want some regulation, They, they want the authorities to say, you have raised some money with Bitcoin or with another cryptocurrency and you've sold it on and made some money, here's some HMRC guidance about how you should declare that doesn't seem to be much of that around. People don't actually know what to do. They don't know how to comply with Know Your Customer regulation. They don't know how to comply with GDPR. They don't know how to run initial coin offerings, which is where a lot of tokens are issued for new startups in this area. And so governments do have to regulate, but they're not doing much of it at the moment. So I, and I want them to do more and get in this space more actively because, like I said, I fear that then people are going to turn quite dramatically against all of this technology.
1: They're dealing too, it's too much Brexit, they haven't got any time for that. Well, yeah, yeah, Thanks. exactly, yeah, Jamie, what about this that. notion that the code, the code is the law, which to some people would be a relatively frightening thing to say. Don't democratically elected governments write the law, not coders in flip-flops sitting around in their beachfront whatever's in wherever.
4: I think that the, at the moment, um, the code is the law line, Its origins are in the history of this crypto-anarchic world. That was always the grand philosophy in the 90s of a a group of actually incredibly visionary crypto-anarchists who realised that the modern technology of the day, the burgeoning internet, was actually not a tool of liberation, as everyone said. They saw that it might actually be a tool of great surveillance and oppression. And they said, we need to figure out a way of making sure governments cannot control everything and they won't be able to change code because it's immutable, it can't be tampered with, it's like physics. And so that sort of thread has run all the way through from the early 90s into the modern Ethereum, DAO and and other things. But I think it's actually, I think this is the great tension of the day. Can laws ever keep up with this technology? Are laws going to have to be passed, which are essentially based on what's technically feasible? So if we did pass, if we decided we were going to try to pass a law to stop cryptocurrencies, we couldn't do it. So, so law, law and democratic power is, is already limited to some extent by what is technically
1: feasible. And I think that is going to continue to be the case. David, the notion that people coming together set up these systems that are outside the present regulatory structures, which are there, for good, democratic reasons.
5: Well, in practice, this is more of stories that fairy tales of Bitcoiners tell themselves, saying, aren't we anarchic, the government hates us. The government's not that interested in you. Um, They look at this thing and go, oh, that's an interesting thing. How does it interact with society that actually exists? So what we see in terms of regulation is they don't try to stop the Bitcoin blockchain existing because, like, as Primavera said, All you need to keep Bitcoin going is a copy of the code, a copy of the blockchain, and two or more cultists, and you've got a Bitcoin going. Mm. But um, what they do regulate is the interfaces to the existing society and economy, hence the know-your-customer requirements. And James, right. There needs to be more regulation on this point, and I think that, as I said, I think that's the good ending for all of this, is that it becomes reasonably regular financial instruments that people understand. But the thing is, that's part of society. Because the trouble with anarcho-capitalism is that it isn't actually actual capitalism. It tends to be people who want to... You actually saw this with PayPal. When Peter Thiel started PayPal, he was really gung-ho about very Bitcoin-like dreams. He thought, this will be a special channel for money which governments can't possibly affect. We will... Um, but he rapidly worked out that actually society is where the customers are. Um, society is where the, cons- where the people are. And there's a heck of a lot more money to be made in um, being part of the system, more conventional capitalism. And, of course, Thiel eventually became a defence contractor, which is the final stage of capitalism.
1: The environmental issue, the amount of energy it takes to make... I know that mining is a different issue from the blockchain itself, but as these systems are built, do they not take a huge amount of energy just to run them? Where's Liberland going to get its bleeding energy from? David, you put your thumb down just on the environment. Yep, yep. Just give me, that, give me that why you did that.
5: Well, the trouble okay. with Bitcoin is that as long as you can get money for Bitcoins, all the incentives are to keep using more and more energy because mining is competitive. So the actual calculations, you could do them on a 2007 iPhone. All the rest of it is computers trying to guess numbers to win the next block full of bitcoins. Like millions of computers shouting number wang at each other 14 sextillion times every 10 minutes with one winner. And this... What do we get for this? We get a payment system that isn't very good and we get a um, sort of an immutable blockchain, well fine, and that's of interest to Bitcoiners. And um, the thing is that it's not that it's 0.1% now, because you have to ask what percentage of the world's electricity would be acceptable. Like, where would the limit be? Um, Because there is no limit. Also, Bitcoin is anti-efficient. Like when, it start, when Satoshi Nakamoto started it in 2009, it was running on his computer, and it ran seven transactions a second. In 2018, it's using 0.1% of all the electricity in the world, and it's running seven transactions a second. As it goes on, it gets less efficient. So if you compare so it to other questions. things, they always get more efficient. Uh, number four. Um, um, as a lawyer,
4: I would, of course, agree with Prima, Primavera, but... She illustrates a very good point, which is that most of the discussions we've had tonight will turn out to be legal questions that need to be resolved in terms of governance. That's a comment. My question for Primavera is that you mentioned earlier on the danger if any one entity has more than 50% of the blockchain. Could you just explain that a little bit more?
3: Yeah. Primavera. So, according to like right. the, the little example that I have given, so the idea is that everyone is racing to create Transactions into a block and then they need to find the right combination in order to attach it, so the, 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 basically it 's a probabilistic thing, so you never know who's going to be, but if you have a lot of hashing power, you have a higher probability to find the right solution to attach the block. Now the problem if you have more than fifty percent is that i 'm going to try and mine a particular block with a transaction i 'm going to attach it right now at the same time, I keep mining another an, an alternative. Uh, bifurcation of the chain in which I'm spending the same $10 to someone else. Right? So this one has been validated because it has been mined and then it keeps evolving. But if I have more than 50%, when I create this bifurcation, I can go faster. And because the rule of, the, the rule of Bitcoin and most blockchains that are based on proof of work is that if there is a bifurcation, everyone will always follow the longest chain. So if, if here I'm attaching two locks, then both of them are equal. If now there is one lock here, another lock here, and this one has another lock after, then everyone will follow this as being the valid chain, which means that these, these ten, $10 that I have spent here have now been spent and accepted, but at the same time now they don't exist anymore because now I shift to this bifurcation. Right? So the ability of having more than 50% enables you to mine faster than the rest of the network and therefore being able to speed up and modify, well, bifurcate and create a bifurcation that is longer than the current chain.
4: So we need Tent- antitrust. Yes. We need antitrust yeah. Bitcoin mining rigs. <laughs> Tendency to monopoly,
1: number three. Uh, Jamie, you were just sort of talking about, um, you know, do we need to question the need for an intermediary? Also, um, the idea that, um, uh, you know, is it, is it a good thing if, we're, if, if there's ways for people not to pay their taxes? That all makes a lot of sense. When it comes not to our relationship with government, but maybe to our relationship with other big entities like tech companies, Facebook, Twitter, is there a way that decentralization, blockchain, can actually protect us, help us own our own data rather than it being used and owned by other entities? Can we control it? To your point about the right to be forgotten, can we say... The
4: problem is that there, there are the, the, the problem of big tech monopolies uh, can, to some extent, I think, be, can be not necessarily resolved, it can be challenged by the rise of these technologies. And it, to that end, I'm quite excited about this. The problem is it then is going to create a whole load of other pro- problems in another part of our system, namely tax raising and governance and trust in in the police and so on. So yes, I accept that to some extent, and that's the positive. And the people in the 90s who were talking about this, those visionary crypto anarchists, they called a lot of what is happening now. They called it early and they were right about it. We didn't really listen. So there are definitely positive uses. But this, I mean, David's right about this as well. There's a lot of potential use cases. There's all sorts of imaginary ways that it might be used in the future. and, And I'm excited about those. And I know this might sound... I I don't really want to bring Brexit into it at this 8.29, but... When it comes to international shipping, if you can combine smart contracts with Internet of Things so you can monitor where things are moving and have smart contracts to automatically tax at borders, there are potentially very, very useful gains there. But it's going to take ages. You're going to have to have an international system of governance that everyone signs up to that's cross-border, and I can't see
1: that happening. You should bring Theresa May. She needs you. The number three. Sorry, yes. Uh, David Wood, London futurist. And I think David Gray... uh, David's point about uh, most of these use cases for blockchain turn out, when you look at them, to be very vague or not to need blockchain at all. I think it's very strong, and we've been discussing it a bit. But I'd like to ask, what, what do the other panelists think is the best answer to that? What do they think, maybe in four or five years' time, we'll be saying, "Thank goodness we have got blockchain because this has allowed us to do this, and we couldn't have done it otherwise." Excellent. We'll take, um, yeah, gentlemen. Then there's a, a woman up at the back there. Yeah, number two and then number three. Sorry, thanks. Um, Barack Obama asked the question, do we want everybody to have a Swiss bank in their pocket? And um, Jacob Rees-Mogg's dad, William Rees-Mogg, wrote a book in 1997 called The Sovereign Individual, where he predicted a digital currency would undermine the power to tax and the power of the state. Do you think that that's actually a possibility that cryptocurrencies could undermine the nation state as we know it now? Excellent. And later at the back.
0: Um, Hi, I was just wondering if you if you think that the sort of potential of blockchain is going to be sort of ruined before it gets there. The reason I'm asking is if you think about things like currency, uh, cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, it's essentially not a currency anymore; it's a commodity. So the people who are, you know, making money off it are the bankers who we were meant to kind of get around by using the cryptocurrency in the first place. So if we're thinking about, you know, using blockchain to solve, you know, patient records in the NHS, do you think it's going to be sort of ruined before we even get there?
1: Yes. So, David, you need to answer the first one. What would be a good thing that blockchain could solve? Which touches on the earlier gentleman's question about what are, the, what are the legitimate things that blockchain could help us with?
5: I think the good ending here is the one that's happening, which is not things that are full decentralized cryptocurrency style systems, but just having that append only ledger, which is really cool. And is the data structure that's good. But the distributing of systems is something it loses efficiency and this means in practice it can't compete that well. So what we'll see is we'll see just the ledger marketed with brand name blockchain and I think that will be the good ending on the technological side. So,
1: <laughs> Primavera, what do you think to that? What, would be a, um, what, what about a good thing, a straightforward good thing that the public can understand, oh yeah, if it wasn't for blockchain, that wouldn't be happening?
3: So I think there are three categories of things. Okay, quick. It's 8.30 already. So one is the cryptocurrency or all the token-based system, which is basically creating your own magic internet money, which is the one that we have been exploring the most until now. Uh, the second one is the, the registry, like using the blockchain not as a decentralized payment system but rather as a registry system. And then you can just prove things by executing a transaction and recording a particular piece of content on that blockchain so that you're moving from this kind of trust-based system to a proof-based system in which you can constantly check whether a particular transaction has happened at the point and provide better auditability. And then the third one, and I think that's the more... Uh, futuristic, but it's, it's getting there, but it's still very experimental, is all the thing that relates to smart contracts. So the ability of deploying software on a blockchain in, order to, in a way that is not controlled by any single operator, but that is actually executed in a distributed manner by all the participants. And this is what can create those kind of um, new type of cooperative uh, or collaborative economy platforms in which there is no centralized operator that is actually dictating the rules of the platform or that is taking out Part of the potential rents that they get, but actually creating a system of decentralized coordination in which different people coordinate themselves mediated through those infrastructure. And we have some examples like we have like Open Bazaar, which is this kind of like eBay but without eBay. Uh, we have like some mechanism like, um, like some decentralized social network uh, like Steemit and uh, Akasha and so forth. And then we have like the more uh, difficult one to implement, like we have Lasus or Arcade City that we're trying to implement Uber without Uber. And obviously, we realize that it's very easy to implement. The first two categories are very easy to implement because one is just pure math. You just need to calculate whether the accounts are actually correct and then make a transaction. The second one is just registration, notarization, so that's also very easy. The difficulty with the smart contract, again, it's the, is the governance. So once you have a, a group of individuals that are all contributing to this decentralized organization, then how do you make sure that this organization is being managed, is being governed in a way that actually makes sense that actually is viable when you don't have these centralized institutions and for me the reason why those smart contract based organisations are not yet fully fledged is really just experimental is because we yet have to identify <coughs> a proper governance structure to manage those organizations thank you
1: very, very, very briefly time is against us um, the point from the back, which is before we get there, the whole of the notion of blockchain has been muddied by cryptocurrencies. So these other ideas like patient records, like um, uh, more less controversial ideas will be lost in this battle around cryptocurrencies and who's making money.
2: Let me just quote David. He said that there are some non-crooks in the ICO scene there is much less of them in the traditional kind of central banking or government scene, right? We don't realize how much governments has actually abused the power to create money. Maybe it's getting a little bit less, but you, so much, so many times in history we saw a massive inflation, everybody losing their money. And I think, you know, no matter what will be developed after on blockchain, the, the money, the, the fact that there is complete honesty, with our money system, that you can now trade a currency where there is only 21 million and never more, nobody can else create it, is the most revolutionary thing that we can see on blockchain, and nobody will be ever. Is it crowding out all create...
1: the other ideas? Is no. is the currencies it, you crowding out the other I'm ideas? I am just saying no.
2: that, that it is the most, it is the, the, the use case where it makes most sense, actually, because it is providing an alternative to fiat. Created currencies where just government decides, let's create another 10 billion and everybody is kind of fine with it and nobody can even influence it. Now we do have a viable alternative. We don't have to use monopoly money anymore.
1: Jamie, just the final question, final point of the evening. Thank you for your patience, audience. Um, you've touched on this undermining the state by putting the power of a Swiss bank in everybody's pocket. I mean, yeah, th- that, 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 that is something that you've discussed in your books and in your work and tonight but that, that is presumably a legitimate criticism of what is happening in blockchain development. I think it is and I, it was and that's kind of the
4: idea at the beginning people are using it for different reasons now but that was always the vision. Uh, and I'm not talking about in the next year or two. I think this is 20 30 year struggle and governments are getting weaker and weaker and it's not just blockchain it's the whole way that digital technology works and will continue to improve. So it's not only having a swiss bank in your pocket it's also having the power of an emperor in your pocket which is what's coming. And so Tax evasion, as I see it, is actually that people that are good at tax evasion are going to get even better at it in the years ahead. It is going to get harder and an increasing burden of taxation will fall on an already aggrieved middle class. Companies are already very good at trying to avoid paying tax. Just wait until they can exist entirely on a a blockchain floating in midair. That's what they would love to do, some of these big companies, and if they can, they will. And so this is, this is, I think, a long-term problem. Governments are weak enough already. People think they're very powerful, but in democracies, I think they're actually incredibly weak and they can't get things done. And anything that makes it harder for them to do that, I think is a problem. Final
1: question to the audience before we wrap up. Who feels, after listening to these brilliant people, more positive about blockchain than when they worked in the, walked in the door? And who feels more negative? The negatives have it. Sadly, Vitz, President Vitz, I'm so sorry, but thank you very much, Primavera, David and Jamie. Thank you, audience.